We're going to read the scripture here. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to read through verse 22. I'm going to read, you want to look at the screens here, that your eyes make contact with God, what God has said. These people are as useless as wells without water or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. And everybody read verse 18. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. It would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. And so we've been reading a 2,000-year-old document, 2,000 years old. And it's amazing to me that it was like it's written for us today, written for us today, that we might be able to go out from here and know how to navigate like the dynamics of the world that we live in. And we've just heard, I want to remind you of this. We've just heard from the scripture, the Bible, okay? So we've just heard from a God-breathed book, the most powerful book in the world, a book there's nothing like this book, a book that can change your life, change your heart, change your relationships, change the way you raise kids, the way that you, are, that you do your, your marriage in life. It is such an incredible book, and it is literally breathed by God. It is inspired by God, and through it, we can actually hear the very voice of God through the Word of God. And so we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be unpacking this this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we're here. Thank you for all the new people that are here and all the veterans that are here. Father, I pray that we would be captivated by your truth. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be ready, cause our minds to be engaged, cause the Word of God to speak to us. I pray for everyone here and watching online that we would be strengthened, we would be blessed. Father, I pray for our community. I pray for this church that you would move across our land. I pray for our cities. We need, we need healing socially and culturally. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would touch our country. Father, I pray for a great moving of your spirit, a great spiritual awakening, that you would even begin here in this tent, in this city. So Father, we pray that you'd help us by your grace to take back the city for you that there would be God-breathed outpouring, sweeping across our land. We ask that you do this and more. You've given us a mission. May we fill, fulfill the mission until our final breath. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. So, talking about this morning, a continuing message in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 through 22. And let me say this by way of introduction. That if I was to just pick any passage of Scripture, I probably would hit the fast-forward button and not talk on this one, if you know what I'm talking about, because there's a lot more fun things to talk about, like how to raise kids without raising your blood pressure. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, you raise kids, it raises your blood pressure. It'd be fun to talk on that. Everybody's like, the edge of their seats want to hear that. Seven fantastic ways to fix your finances. How many people are going to be interested in that subject? Come on. Or uh, three ways to great relationships or a great marriage. There's a lot of different things that if you just pick topics and pick your favorite passages, you talk on. But then when you're going through the scripture, you hit things like this passage. is like, oh, this is intense. Like this is sobering. 
does the author have to be so in your face? Does he have to be so confrontive and, and not backing down at all and just like hitting you after one verse after the next there? And so, but when you go through the scripture, like we are kind of going through the verses, you hit passages like this and you need to talk about them. And so Peter here, he's so graphic. He's so uh, forceful. He's so strong and unrelenting in what he says. And you wonder, like, why is he being like that? Well, think about it for a moment. Think about as a parent, those of you that are a parent, if you think in parental terms, and you had individuals that were moving among your children, moving among the tenderness of your daughter, the innocence of your son there, and you imagine them moving toward your children with these filthy practices, with teaching them lies. And there's the parent among us, I'm actually thinking that's happening in our school system anyways, but and there's a parent within us that with the rightful emotion would rise within you that you want to deal with them. And you want to dispense with them. And you would deal with these characters immediately. You deal with them forcefully. Peter is like that. He is a shepherd of their souls He's a shepherd of this flock here. And he said, there are wolves which have moved in among you. And so he's going after them with striking fashion. And I think one of the things we need to be recalibrated on is this. Today we live in a culture where really when you think about it, we've been so kind of uh, conditioned in contemporary culture that we think that no one can talk like this. That no one is justified in saying the types of things Peter says that you can't be that confrontive. And so, but what he's doing here is he's, he needs to expose for us the dangers that are out there, and he's feeling rather intense about it. And so he feels an urgency, and he essentially is making a passionate plea here about deception. And all of us here, we need to hear what he has to say about deception. False teachers, false ministries, and friends, they're with us today. And so that's what he's talking about. He's explaining to us what's going on. So what you got for today is this. What you're going to get is this. Now I'm going to talk about three truths about false teachers. Three truths about false teachers. And then we're going to continue the conversation, this whole false conversation. And we're going to talk about why it is that people seem like they're going to follow God and then they don't. You could call it a false conversion. So it says in verse 17, it says this. These people, what, what, what people is that? These false teachers, these fakes, these phonies, that they are out there. And then he describes, this is what they're like. You want to know what they're like? Here's what they're like. Using uh, uh, descriptions and illustrations from this time 2,000 years ago, which still relate to us. He says, they are like wells without water or clouds blown away by a wind. In other words, a well without water is what? I mean, it's useless, right? It almost, when you look at the well, it kind of starts making a promise to you that there's got to be something inside that well. Or say a drinking fountain, if you've been really thirsty and you're going to hit the drinking fountain when we used to use them more. And you go to the drinking fountain. I can remember many times as a kid being thirsty, doing sports and getting to it, hitting the button and thinking that here it comes and there's nothing there. And you're completely let down. Like you think like I'm deceived. I thought there was water there. There's no water. Or maybe you wake up and you see like there's clouds in the sky. They're kind of dark. You're like, yeah, I love the rain. We need rain. Uh, and, uh, and then 
It's California and there's no rain. How many people know what I'm talking about? There's no rain. And you're just let down. You're just let down by it all. And so this is what he's saying is that the, the false teachers are like. You, you anticipate, like, for example, in the context of church, you anticipate your spiritual thirst being quenched. You anticipate a little living water. You anticipate that you're going to have a quench of, uh, to hear from God. And then you go and it's just like a, a well that is empty. It is dried out. It is zero capacity to refresh you because there's no water. And so what he's saying is these false teachers are just like that. They're empty. There's a zero capacity within them to satisfy the thirst of your soul for Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, look, this is how they are. So the first thing that we need to recognize here is that false teachers, they're deceptive. They will deceive you, and they're experts at deceiving you. You go to hear them, and, and you're wanting something for your, your heart and your soul, but listening to them, they're like wells without water. They can be impressive. They can be eloquent. They can draw you in. They can, they can uh, uh, be the types of speakers that are funny, that they're entertaining that they're engaging. I mean, they're good at what they do. And you, and you're, you think you're going to get something, and you keep waiting for it, but what you're waiting for actually never comes. And in the midst of that, they're trying to deceive you. Interestingly, Jesus said this. Jesus said, in contrast to them, whoever drinks of the water that I give you, not going to be like those false teachers. But the water that I give shall be in you become a well of water springing up into eternal life. It's awesome, friends. That's what Jesus is like. And so then he concludes verse 17 with this. Very sobering. And, the, and he says this. They who, they, the false teachers, false ministry, they are doomed to the blackest darkness. In other words, God has their number. God has reserved something for them. And there will be divine justice. You see people like this and you think, are they ever going to get their just due? Are they ever, is justice ever going to come to expression in their life? And the scripture is saying, yes, it is. They're doomed to the blackest darkness. And so false teachers then, it is coming their way. It is coming their way. And it might look like they're getting away, but in reality, you need to be reminded they're not getting away with it. So literally, the blackest darkness speaks of hell itself. Jesus talked of it often that judgment was coming. And then he says this is what they do. Continuing, he says, with an appeal to entice or to lure you in, to bait you, and then explains how, and that's what they do. Not only do false teachers, not only are they all about deceiving you, but they entice you. They allure you. They pull you in. They know how to say what you want to hear. That's why they're so good at it. So secondly, this is what they do. And when it says bait, literally is like fish, the idea there. In the original language, is like fish that would go after the bait. It looks so good. It looks so enticing. It looks so alluring. It looks like the real thing. That's why they bite on it. See, like, that's how false teachers are. They make you think it's the real thing, so you will bite on it. So that's what he's unpacking here. So he says, they have an appeal to entice. Again, they're captivating as they speak. They're dynamic. They have great oratory skill. They're funny. They got all the great uh, illustrations and all. 
People might be cheering and clapping and exciting, and when they're leaving, they're going, man, that was amazing. That speaker was so awesome. That was so great. That was so good. Hey, what did they talk about? Well, I, I, it was, I don't know. It was amazing, but uh, I, I don't know what they talked about. And so, like, there's no real biblical content, no biblical truth, no scriptural content. They've got all the style imaginable, but no substance. See, they have an appeal to entice here, and they speak, it says in one translation, with great swelling words of emptiness. In other words, it literally means hot air. means they are full of hot air. How many of you know a lot of stuff we're hearing today is full of hot air? You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot. So they, they may dazzle you with empty words uh, and all, but they're just luring you in. So he says, beware. They're in here. They're out there. They're everywhere. Verse 19. This is what they also do. Number three. They promise freedom. They, as the false teachers, they themselves are like slaves of sin and corruption. And so he says, look, they're going to deceive you. They're going to entice you. They're going to lure you in. And you also need to know this about false teachers everywhere. Here's how they roll. Here's how they operate. They will make you a promise and not keep the promise. They promise freedom, but they don't deliver. Let's talk about that. Because this is what, this is what they do. Like they may say in our context, maybe in church, they might say, hey, you want to be free? And you think, well, dang, I want to be free. I, I, I would love to be free. Who wants to be in bondage your whole life? Yeah, I want to be free. Hey, well, listen, they're not going to say something like, don't go to that church there in the tent or other like Bible churches like that. They're not going to say, hey, they're going to lead you in deep darkness. They're going to lead you to be destroyed. They're not going to do that. But here's what they would do. They may say something like this. See, they're trying to to lure you in. They're trying to deceive you. So they may something like say something like, hey, if you just come and join us, come and join our team here, get away from all that sanctuary nonsense, all that Bible, read the Bible, explain the Bible, apply the Bible, get, get all that bondage they try to put you in. You can get away from all that teaching jazz and come over here. We'll give you real freedom. We'll give you real freedom until... They're promising freedom, but they won't deliver it. I think the culture does that. I'm going to unpack that in just a moment here. So Peter then says this, like he's been listening to Jesus, says, for you're a slave to whatever controls you. Would you agree with that, friends? Would you agree with that? You're a slave to whatever controls you. Think about that. Whatever controls you, you become a slave of, and so only Jesus Christ can set you free from sin, from Satan, uh, from yourself. Only he can do that. And so false teachers, they promise freedom, but the answer is not in them. The answer is in Jesus Christ. So let me show you what I'm talking about here uh, because the culture will promise you that freedom is doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is doing whatever you want it to. How many people know that that is utter nonsense? That is absolute and utter nonsense if you just think about it. Just think about it. So I've been married for a little while. I have three sons, 22, 24, 26. So my wonderful wife is sitting in the front uh, front chair here. And so, what's that? 
How long have we been married? I'm sorry. Uh, so, but the point is, the point is this, is that, look, I, you just don't do whatever you want. How many people, you want to stay married and think you can do whatever you want? Come on, somebody. How many people think you can have kids, just do whatever you want? You, you think you're going to be a, a parent very long? I mean, it's absolute and utter ridiculousness, and yet... The culture will just say it in such a way that it kind of, that people are buying into it. Like whatever day, be whatever gender you want, pick it every day, different every day. It's like there's just a, there's levels of, of like nonsense out there that male and female, he created them. But the culture says just freedom, like whatever you want. And we know that's a lie. We know that's a lie. See, freedom is being set on a path that your creator has designed for you and choosing to say yes to it. That's freedom, where you're not in such bondage to everything else that you can't say yes to the best and no to the rest. So freedom, then, is when you, you do what God wants you to do, and you're doing what your creator wants you to do when you're choosing his way. Freedom is when you can be able to say no to things that will just destroy you and wreck your life. And so don't let uh, the teachings of culture or the teachings of even religious culture, dupe you into thinking that you can do whatever you want. See, Jesus Christ makes you a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any person is in Christ, they become a new person, a new creature, where then you are new to live for God, to live for the best. And so, but Peter said you're a slave to whatever controls you. Well, friends, what, what is it that controls you? Is it a relationship that controls you? Is it your fears that control you? Uh, is it porn that controls you? Some addiction out there that controls you? Food can control you. Drink can control you. Entertainment can control you. Your meds can control you. Sex can control you. Buying the next techie object, whatever, can control you. There's so many things that can control us and then we're no longer in control. Those things are mastering us, and we're in control to them. Jesus said, he who the Son sets free, he has the capacity and the power to set you free, that you are not controlled by those things. So then it's a very sobering scripture here, which follows after we've learned about false teachers. What do they do? They deceive you, they entice you, and they promise you false promises. Now we're going to shift gears. Now we're going to go in a different direction. Now we're not going to talk about false teachers anymore. Now we're shifting to talk about false conversions. False conversions going to unpack that. So it says this here in verse 20. It says, Now when people escape the, from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, Hey, they're worse off than, than before. So what he's talking about, what is he talking about here? Like, what, what is the idea? Well, here's the idea he's describing. He's describing where somebody you know, somebody perhaps in your family, could be a friend, could be a, a relationship, could be one of us. And so at some point, they make the decision, you know, I'm tired of my life. I want to escape from my life. I want to hit the eject button. I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. 
Like, I'm, I'm tired of being up till four in the morning on Saturday night. I'm tired of waking up and don't know where I've been and what I'm doing. I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the emptiness scene. I'm just done with it. I think I'm going to try something different. Been driving by Wildwood Canyon Road and seeing that tent. I heard they, like, it's like a church or something. And I'm, I'm going to try the, I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to try the Jesus thing. I'm going to try the church thing. I'm done with this life here. I'm tired of being ripped on Saturday night. Tired of the drug crowd. I just, I've had it. So they make a change. And all of a sudden, the emptiness crowd is like, hey, like, where you been on Saturday night? Like, we miss you. Like, I'm done with that life. I'm escaping that life. I'm going in a different direction. And then after a while, something happens. And all of a sudden, you wonder why they're not in church anymore. And you thought they were the real deal. I mean, they even came on Wednesday night to youth to help out with youth. They're helping out at VBS. And all of a sudden, the new deal is just fizzling. And you're thinking, like, what, what happened with all that following Jesus stuff? And you wanted to go in a different direction, and now you're back to your old life. Well, here's what the scripture says about that. It says this in verse 21, strikingly troubling verse. It said, it would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. So what he's unpacking here is this, is that sometimes people, they can try it. They can try Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like you may, you may go on a test drive and you try the car, but you don't buy it. But you can test drive all you want. People can come to church. They can test drive church, test drive Jesus, test drive the whole deal. And they're trying it, but it doesn't mean they've crossed the line and they're buying in and they're actually trusting Jesus as their Savior. Whole nother deal, trust versus just trying or kicking the tires. And so they ha- what they did then is that uh, when they leave, even though they're displaying on the outside, it appears there's some life change, appears there's an initial uh, change there, but what they'd never really left comes to expression and shows that they never really trusted in the first place. They were never all in. So Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, hey, don't be surprised. This is going to happen. So in the parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew chapter 13, he explained that, look, people will hear the message, but there's all different kinds of hearts out there. There's like he gives four different types of hearts. He said, yeah, there's good soil of the heart where it sticks, but there are also those that start to go down the road, and they look like it looks like the seed is going to stick, but it doesn't, for different reasons, the, not to get into it too much, but he said birds come by, steal the seed, the sun comes up and burns it up. So he says, look, there's going to be those that look like they're going in a pathway of faith, but they're not, and this is why, and he explains it. So whenever you hear things like that, you need to recognize the bigger picture of the canon of Scripture, and this is what we know. What we know is this, is that the ground of your Knowing God, the ground of your salvation, it's not based on you, not anything that you do, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, it's for grace that you're saved, not of works, not of works. Otherwise, we'd all be like, yeah, high-fiving and chest bumping. 
yeah, I'm in the kingdom because I'm so awesome. And so, no, it's not by any of that. So we know it's not by any of that, but salvation is full. Salvation is final. Salvation is free. It is a work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so sometimes you will see people, you need to be reminded of this, that they look like they're real followers, when in reality, they're not. So Jesus told us, Peter told us the dynamic of that. So what do we need to do? Well, the Bible says you need to examine yourself. We're so always examining everybody else. You need to examine yourself. Good word for 2,000 years ago, not a bad word for today, huh, friends? So then Peter closes this passage, verse 20 through 22, quoting from Proverbs 26, and says this. They, who's they? They's a whole false conversion crowd. Prove the truth of this proverb. A dog, aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear this, friends? A dog returns to his vomit. Now get a good visual of that in your mind, okay? Really, kind of really work through that in your mind. Or a washed pig returns to the mud. So just lovely, lovely thoughts here for this morning. So what is he saying? He's saying this, once a pig, always a pig. That was brilliant, Rod. That was really good. Glad we came to church today. Once a dog, always a dog. You can dress up a pig. You can put him in a cute little tuxedo. You're going to like oink, oink. You're going to run off. And once he's free, he's going to go jump right back in the mud. Doesn't matter what happens on the outside. Only change happens on the inside. Remember, we're talking about false conversions here. Same thing with a dog. You can't change uh, the the change a dog without really changing the inside. So it's talking about you got to be transformed on the inside. That's the whole point here. That you got to be changed on the inside. This false conversion crowd was never changed on the inside. That's the point here. Never a heart change. See, God's salvation comes when you are changed in your heart. Even speaks of this in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, where, where it says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit inside you. In fact, this is what I'll do. I will take from within you that heart of stone, your hard heart, and God says, I will give you a new heart, a tender heart, a heart that's responsive to me. I'll give you a heart of flesh. So see, that's what the work of the Spirit of God will do in your life, to transform you. So what he's saying here is this. Like, look, you saw those people that it looked like they were having a spiritual experience, but there was never a miracle of heaven that transformed their heart and changed them. They were just trying it. They were just experiencing it but never trusted in Jesus. So friends, the bottom line is this, is you need to trust. You need to be born again from the inside. So you don't want to leave here and that not be your reality. And so this then is the passage of 2 Peter chapter 2. We're done with it, okay? We're done. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to transition to a time of communion. So why do, like, why do we do that? Maybe you're new to church and you're wondering, why do we do communion? Like, what's the purpose of communion? Well, here's the purpose, and here's why we do communion. Jesus, before he went to the cross, was with 
his friends, his disciples, and he said to them as he was meeting with them, as intimate, face-to-face, and he, and he, and he took some, some wine and he said, uh, this is the new covenant, uh, this is like my blood. He said, and you are entering a new covenant, a new relationship with me. And he said this, he said, as often as you do drink this cup, you're remembering what I did for you. You're remembering that my blood was spilled for you. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And then he took the bread and he broke the bread and he tore the bread. He said, look, this is like my body is going to be torn. My body is going to be broken. And as often as you eat of the bread, you are remembering that my body was broken for the very remission, the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus said, do this often as you remember me. Say, well, what, what keeps me from doing that? Well, the only thing that keeps you from doing that is if you don't want that. If you don't want that in your life, then you don't want, then you don't want to take communion. But if you want that, you want his shed blood, his broken body. You want forgiveness, remission of sins. You want to uh, enter into this time of, of remembering that, then you take communion. So this is what Jesus said to do. So let's pray, and then the worship team will be up to lead us in worship. So, Father, thank you that you are the God that gives us a new heart the God that gives us that you put your spirit within us, that you change us, that you don't just kind of dress up the outside, but you change the very nature and fabric, and you change our our, our desires, and you change who we are from the inside out. We thank you for a miracle of grace. We thank you for a miracle from heaven. And Father, I pray that we would live lives that are empowered by you. We're here this morning, and 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 we're jerking around, and we're messing around, and we're, and we're on the fringes or we're, we're nosedive into sin. Father, I pray that you would show us to choose us freedom, to choose you, Father, to be right with you, to declare you as our king, and to live as your loyal subjects, your followers, and to help us to do that for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.